But anyhow, when you talk about nerves and medicine for nerves, uh, Psalm 100 is a great medicine for nerves. So open your Bible to Psalm 100. And while you do, really the Psalms, are, it's a hymn book. It's a Jewish hymn book. It's a hymn book for Christians, for believers. Uh, it is a hymn book for us. And this uh, superscription above this psalm says it is a psalm for giving thanks. This is the only psalm out of all 150 that have that kind of superscription. Not that the other ones weren't, didn't have thanksgiving in them, but this particular one was designated a psalm for giving thanks. And I know John read through it earlier, but it bears repeating, so let's read through it, and then we will unpack it uh, together. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. How many of you in your life you like a lot of structure? I mean, structure is kind of your, your thing in life. Not too many. Uh, a couple people. Yes, yes. These are the people you don't show up at their house unannounced, by the way. So take note of that. Um, that means maybe the rest of you not so much structure. But um, if you like structure, you're really going to like this song. If you don't like structure, you may not like it as well, but you need it because you need some structure anyhow. So here's how this is broken down, and then we're going to look at it. Verses 1 and 2 really talk about how we are to worship God. Verse 4 is, or verse 3 is why we are to worship God. And verse 4 then comes back again and talks about how we are to worship God. And verse 5, why we are to worship God. So we start off with how, then we move to why, then we come back to how, and then we move to why. Thankful believers are compelled to worship God for who He is and for what He does. And that's what we see in this psalm. And we're going to look at it together. You know, when you travel to church on any given Sunday, it can be challenging at times. Because as parents, sometimes you have to deal with a stubborn child. The family pet gets loose right before you head out the door. Or the appliance that quit working yesterday causes issues, the leaky faucet that keeps dripping, the spilled milk that just won't look at your Sunday attire. And you think, well, maybe I should just go back to bed and start over. So the point is, it can be very challenging to come into a worship service with a right heart attitude. It can be very challenging. The Jews living in the ancient Near East took special times of the year to travel to Jerusalem. This psalm was would have been one of those times where they were taking the trek to Jerusalem, making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem in obedience to the Torah, God's law, the first five books of the Bible. Their destination for the trip was the temple. The temple was the central place of worship in the holy city. The purpose of the pilgrimage was worship. And the motivation for them was not only obedience to the Torah, 
but it was also to express a heart of thanksgiving for who God is and for all he has done for them. So they would leave home with a spring in their step, their heart beating a little faster, the journey would be long and the path would be difficult as they moved along with their family, their animal sacrifice, and the traveling caravan of people and all that goes with it. They would leave home with great expectation, and now they're approaching the city with great fatigue and tired muscles. Perhaps by now they forgot the reason they're making the trip in the first place. It begins to fade. But as they approach Jerusalem, they begin to hear a sound off in the distance. It is not the sound of animals. It is the sound of voices. You see, Psalm 100 is a psalm of praise to Yahweh, to God, to Yahweh, the one who makes that which has been made, the one who brings into existence whatever exists to worship him in the temple. Some believe that Psalm 100 is really a doxology from the previous psalms. If you go back to Psalm 93, for instance, and you work your way through these psalms, and I would encourage you, maybe this week go back to Psalm 93 and read all the way through Psalm 100, and you'll kind of see the feel of this and, and what we should experience. In Psalm 93, he talks about the Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. Over to Psalm 95, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Psalm 98, sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns. Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. It's been said that during the 16th century, reformers paraphrased this psalm and would actually set it to various metrical tunes around the world. So English-speaking churches would sing this psalm to remind us that God commands us to worship and why we should be compelled to worship. If you want to know how to thank God and why we should thank God, then this psalm provides the answers. God commands us to worship him with thanksgiving because of who he is and what he has done. How are we to worship God? That's what it starts off with. How are we to worship God? We are to worship God first with joy. Notice what it says. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Now I know this doesn't always fit the MB. We can be kind of quiet and passive. This is not quiet and passive. It is a shout. It is a loud proclamation. It is a loud announcement to shout because of who God is and what he has done. So we're going to practice. I think we need to practice. I would like us on the count of three to shout and don't say, our God reigns. That's not shouting. Shout, our God reigns. You got that? Our God reigns. On the count of three, I want you to do it. Are you ready? One, two, three. Our God reigns. That was good. Let's try that one more time. On the count of three. One, two, three. Our God reigns. Amen. Doesn't that feel good? I mean, it just feels good. He 
does. He reigns. And we do it with joy. That's where worship could come from, a heart of joy. Tim Keller says, in order for us to worship, our mind, our will, and our emotions have to be moved. In verses 1 to 3, we are commanded to be joyful. Since we are commanded to be joyful in our worship, that means joy is not based on circumstances. It is rooted in our relationship with God. H.B. Charles said, happiness is based on what happens. Happiness is thing-centered, people-centered, event-centered. If you lose your stuff, you lose your joy. You lose your happiness, I should say. Joy, real joy, is not thing-centered, people-centered, or event-centered. It is God-centered. Things can change, people change, events change. And since joy is not rooted in these things, we can still experience joy when all these things change. God is still God. His character and his care have not changed, so we are commanded to be joyful. Commanded. What does joy look like in the life of a believer? We are to shout. That's what it looks like. When you're out in the field, shout. When you're in the combine, shout. When you're on your tractor, shout. When you're in the shower, shout. Praise the Lord for who he is and what he has done. A thankful believer who understands who God is cannot keep his mouth shut because his heart is overflowing with thankfulness and gratitude for God. And notice he says, shout all the earth. Everyone, every believer in every tribe, every believer who has a tongue, every believer who can speak a language, every believer in every people group, no matter your personality, no matter your education level, no matter the economic status, offer to God a joyful shout. Because you see, a thankful heart is a joyful heart. What can you thank God for with joy? Thank God for his rulership over the world and in your life and family. Take time this week to thank the Lord for his rulership over the world, for rulership over your life, over your family. God is reigning and ruling over every one of us. Thank God also for what he is teaching you right now. Have you stopped to think, what is God teaching me right now, today, this week? What is he teaching me? And then I would encourage you to do this. Share with another believer what God is currently teaching you, because that will encourage them. Share with another believer what God is teaching you right now. What scripture are you reading and what is God impressing upon you as you read? And if you don't have anything to share, maybe you need to get back to the word of God. How are we to worship God? With joy. We not only worship him with joy, we also worship him with service. Notice what he says. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Worship him. Worship with service. 
Some will say serve the Lord with gladness because worship and service are synonymous. They are synonymous. A thankful heart is a joyful heart and a thankful heart is also a serving heart. To worship with service means we are actively involved in God's work. We are motivated out of thanksgiving for who God is and for what he has done to be actively involved in advancing his kingdom, strengthening his church is what we should be involved in. Serving God is a privilege. I give my time and energy to advancing his work. I look for ways to encourage and strengthen other believers in their faith intentionally. I'm aware that God has given me gifts and I want to use those gifts to strengthen the church. He says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When we give ourselves, when we use our bodies to advance the kingdom, that is our spiritual act of worship. And we do it not out of grudgingly, but out of gratitude. For all that God has done for us. Here's what he says in 1 Peter. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. <coughs> in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Stop and thank God this week for the privilege to bless someone with your gift. Think about that. God has given you a gift, and he's given you that gift not to keep for yourself, but to bless somebody else. Thank God for the privilege to bless someone with your gift, whatever that is. We have the Thanksgiving cards. Maybe God wants you to use one of these bless someone this week. Pray about it. Think about it. What God would have you do. We worship with joy. We worship with service. And then we worship by accepting God's invitation. Notice what he says. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. When we come before him with joyful songs, that is an invitation to come to the Lord. We come before him with joyful songs. It's an invitation from God to come into his presence. And this refers specifically to the temple where Yahweh was present with his people. It was a special place. It was a special time. You've probably seen these as well as I have. You go into, you've got to go into a business and they have a sign on the door and it says, no shirt, no shoes, no admittance. Right? You've got to come a particular way. Um, you don't have to come a particular way to God. You can come, I, I come before God a lot when I'm laying in bed early in the morning. When God awakens me early in the morning, I come before him. Bring my request to him. Talk to him. And try to listen to him as well. You can come before him when you're spreading manure. 
when you're in the shower. It doesn't matter. You can come before the Lord wherever you are and come before Him with joyful songs. You know, it's not likely that any of us are going to get an invitation to the White House to sit down with the President and talk with him. I don't think we're on that level. But here is the King of the universe that has given you and I a personal invitation to come into his presence and commune and fellowship with him. Think about that. The king of the universe invites us into his presence. And then he says that we are to come before him with joyful songs. Some suggest that verses 1 to 3 were sung by the pilgrims as they approached the temple. And verses 4 and 5 were sung by the choir inside the temple. But here's the important thing. Are we tuned into the lyrics? One man suggested about 40% of churchgoers seem to have picked up the idea that singing in church is for singers. The truth is, singing is for believers. The relevant question is not do you have a voice? But do you have a song? We had a man that uh, in our church, the church I grew up in, he was absolutely monotone. I stood next to him a couple times, and I mean, it was one note, one pitch. It didn't matter what the song was, if it was up here or down here, he was right there, man. One pitch. He loved music, but he couldn't sing worth a lick but he was still making a noise for the Lord. And he loved music. I can say that now because he's in heaven. Because he's watching. He's watching from heaven, so I'm okay. Worship with joy. Worship with service. Worship by accepting God's invitation. We have to accept that invitation. And we also worship him because he is God. Notice what it says in verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. We worship Him because He is God. That's who He is. And we need to worship Him with this sense of joy. This sense of joy is tied to our emotions. But we also worship with knowledge. Notice He says, know that the Lord is God. We worship him with the knowledge of who he is and his attributes. So in a sense, with joy, we feel something when we come into worship. We should have a sense of feeling something, but we should also come with a sense of knowing something. That we know the God that we are worshiping. We know the God we are singing about and talking about. The verb know here means to recognize or confess. In some languages, this recognize is translated through figurative expressions, such as say yes in your heart. Now look at that. Know that the Lord is God. Say yes in your heart. He is God. Do you say that in your heart? Yes. Yes. In my heart, he is God. Put this word in your mouth. He is God. Yahweh is God. It was the fundamental creed for the Jewish faith. It means this, not just knowing intellectually, 
not just knowing theologically, not just knowing even experientially, but knowing and acting like we know it. Acting and behaving like we know it, that he is God. In other words, if we know he is God, how I behave will change. How I treat my wife will change. How I handle my work and responsibilities at work will change. How I relate to fellow employees will change. Why? Because God is God, and it impacts every area of our lives. It will change our behavior, so it will impact us. When this happens, when we know God, we will be busy acknowledging Him and what we are doing. What should we know about God? Let me offer you three truths we should know about God. The first truth we should know about God is the Lord is God. It's an emphatic statement. He says, know that the Lord is God. He is God alone. There is no equal. There is no rival. He is not answerable to any other power or authority. He is God. He has the whole world in his hands, as the psalm says. He says in Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. He says in Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. He is God, and God alone, our God, reigns. If you want to worship with thanksgiving, then you need to know that God is God, and there is no other. And there is nothing too hard for God. So let me ask you a question. What difficulty are you facing right now? If God is for you, who can be against you? Are you giving it to God? The second truth we should know about God is that God is our creator. Notice what he says. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. He is the creator, our creator. He made us, he owns us. And if that is true, then he made us, and he has a purpose for every one of our lives. He has a plan for every one of our lives. He made us in his image. He made us for his glory, our personalities, our gifts, our abilities, everything he has made for his purpose and his glory. You see, I have the only set of fingerprints in the world, and they belong to me. Nobody else has a set of fingerprints. I have the only DNA of my body. That's my DNA that God gave me. He gave to you. Some of us he gave with hair and some less hair. Um, but we are all greatly valued by God. And we should thank him for it. The third truth we should know about God is that he will take care of us. Notice what he says. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. The shepherd's job is to care for the sheep. Sheep need care because they're dumb. 
They drift off. They stray. They can't even find food on their own. They can't fend for themselves from a wild animal. They're weak and defenseless. And yet we, as God's people, he says, are the sheep of his pasture. He cares for us. Sheep get lost without a guide. We have a guide who guides us, who cares for us, who ministers to us. He is the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. In Psalm 23, which is probably the most famous psalm in all of the book of Psalms, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, when I'm hungry, God's going to give me food. When I'm tired, he's going to give me rest. I'm going to lay down in the green pastures. When I'm thirsty, he's going to give me drink. When I'm weak, he's going to give me strength. When I'm lost, he's going to give me guidance. It would be good to share that truth with someone this week. Remind them of God's care for them. They're going through a hard time. Remind them of God's care. Share with an unbeliever something that would point them to God. I shared with the doctor, and I only had just a very brief time, because he was very tight with his time. And I just said, you know, I, I really wanted to pray with him, but I, I could tell he was like heading out the door, and I just said, I want you to know there are many people praying for you. Is there anything we can do to, to insert God into the equation? The shepherd who cares for us. Because I believe, you know, God wanted our paths to cross. He wanted our paths to cross. And we should take advantage of those opportunities. Thank God for his creation of you and his care for you. When's the last time you thanked him for his creation of you and his care for you? What cares do you need to cast on the Lord today? His care is inexhaustible. And then he transitions again. He says, how do we worship God? Here's another call to worship. We worship with thanksgiving. Notice what he says in verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Here is the call to worship again. Here is how we are to worship to be thankful, to approach him with grateful praise. Enter the gates of the city of Jerusalem and the courts of the temple precinct. How often do we fail to come into worship with that mindset? That we have actually prepared our heart to come in to give thanksgiving to God as we come through the doors of the church and enter into a place of worship. I would challenge you, and I think it's a challenge for all of us, to take time every week to prepare our hearts for worship. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Some of us, we come in and we've just had a spat with our spouse. We're thinking about our frustrations and our disappointments with our government, our negative attitude, our unmet expectations, and how does that contribute to thanksgiving to God. We should have praise on the inside. With 
all that's going on in the world, how am I supposed to come into a service and worship the Lord? I'm glad you asked because the psalmist gives us seven imperatives, and we're going over them right now. Shout, worship, come, know, enter, give thanks, and bless his name. Seven reasons. Let me suggest three more reasons why we should engage in thankful worship. Three more reasons why we should engage in thankful worship. Notice he says, give thanks to him and praise his name. And then he says in verse 5, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So the first thing we see here is the Lord is good. That's a reason to praise and thank the Lord. He tells us about his character. He is perfect. He is flawless. He is without blemish. All his ways are good. All his purposes are good. All his plans are good. All his provision is good. All his judgments are good. His government is good. I'm reminded of Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy. They were kept in a Nazi concentration camp in Ravensbrück. They were terribly overcrowded and flea infested. They had been able to miraculously smuggle a Bible into the camp. And in that Bible, they had read that in all things they were to give thanks and that God could use anything for good. Bessie decided to spend thanking God for the fleas. This was too much for Corey, who said she could do no such thing. Bessie insisted, so Corey gave in and prayed to God, thanking him for the fleas. Over the next several months, a wonderful but curious thing happened. They found that the guards never entered the barracks. This meant the women were not assaulted. It meant that they were able to do the unthinkable, which was to hold open Bible studies and prayer meetings in the heart of a Nazi concentration camp. Through this, countless numbers of women gave, came to faith in Christ, and only at the end did they discover why the guards had left them alone and would not enter the barracks. It was because of the fleas. This Thanksgiving, Give thanks to God for every good and perfect gift. When you feel the challenge of something in your life, take a moment and remember the pleas of Ravensbrook. And thank God anyway. The psalmist said in Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Have you tasted and have you seen that God is good? He's good. Thank him for his provision in your life, for health, for work, for eyes to see, ears to hear, family to interact with. Friends to be encouraged by. Let me give you the other ones. Secondly, his love. Another reason to praise the Lord is his love endures forever. This is his, the word is hesed in the original language. 
And Hesed talks about God's covenant love, his mercy toward us, his unfailing love, his steadfast love, his loyal love. It never changes. Our Savior will never pass us by without hearing our cry. Thank God the greatest act and demonstration of his love was when he sent Jesus to the cross on our behalf to give his life for our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin. Thank God for his love. <coughs> that was demonstrated while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And lastly, I'm sorry, I went back, I was going to go back to that, um, his faithfulness to all generations. I don't know if I get back there or not, but his faithfulness to all generations, God's faithfulness is consistent throughout time, through every challenge, Every disappointment, every difficulty, every hardship, every adversity that teaches us about God's nature. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The point is, we have lots of reasons to praise and thank God. His faithfulness led him to obey his Father and pay for our sin list some specific ways this week that God has demonstrated his goodness. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.